This morning we're going to be in a new series, and uh, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to open it to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. That's Old Testament minor prophet. It's close to the back. Habakkuk, it's close to the back of the Old Testament. I want to talk to you this morning about recalibrating your compass or recalculating. Habakkuk writes this in Habakkuk chapter 2. He says, I will stand at my watch. I love that. I will stand at my watch. I'm going to stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am given to this complaint. God, it is, it is so great that you are faithful and consistent. We can count on you. And so, God, this morning, just as Habakkuk did, we do this as well. We we stand and we watch to see what you desire to say to us, your children. We commit these moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I will stand and watch. I will stand and wait. Habakkuk writes this because he's frustrated and confused. He's frustrated and confused. I don't know if you've ever been there. Frustrated and confused. I'll tell you where it's easy to become frustrated and, and, and confused, and that is living in Central Florida. It's very easy to become frustrated and confused living in Central Florida. If, if you're one of the 99.9% .9 of people who are not originally from here, and you get into your vehicle and you attempt to go just about anywhere, you'll quickly find yourselves frustrated and confused. Because you can't try, travel for any distance in the Orlando area on a road that goes straight. It seems as if they let wild animals loose and said, wherever the wild animals run, that's where we're going to put the roadway. Amen? And a, a casual look, you would think there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. It's very easy to get lost. It's, it's very easy to feel like I'm simply going in circles. But here's something that's interesting. If you go from the surface view and, and just elevate a little bit and get a different perspective, here's what you'll find out. You'll find out that this crazy road system, that there's a reason for it. Within four miles of where you're sitting right now, there are 47 different lakes and bodies of water that you have to navigate around. If you don't know the lay of the land, it's really good to have some help. I, I love the fact that when I get into my car, I have this GPS system. And I will tell you that there are times that I'm convinced that the thing is clueless, but it always seems to get me where I need to go. I have felt that way on more than one occasion in my journey with God. Where I thought, God, is it not possible in life to have three steps that seem to be going in the same direction? After all, it does not Proverbs say that if I trust in you, that you will make my path straight. God, it doesn't seem to be straight on any level. And yet, here's what I find. That if I do trust in God, if I do seek Him first, if I do allow His voice to be the predominant voice in my life, He consistently gets me home. And I want you to know three things this morning. I want you to know this. If your life seems to be going in circles, that God is here and He says, I care and I can get you home. If you're here this morning and you've been doing it your own way, and you find yourself now stuck in a ditch, 
You feel like you've been swamped? God has the ability to bring new direction. One of the one of the things I appreciate about the GPS system in my car as I'm driving along and, and something gets my attention and I forget about where I'm going for a moment, I've never had the GPS system in my car go, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know what you're going to do now. Good luck. Here's what it does, and no doubt the GPS system that you use will do the same thing. You'll hear a phrase like this, rerouting. And it very quickly, it figures out how to get from where you currently are to the desired destination. And the grace of God, in His grace, here's what God does. In those faults and failings that we have, here's what God does. He says, rerouting. And he says, listen, it's, it's all about getting you to your destiny. But it's real easy in, in, the, in the midst of it all to go, God, what are you doing and, and, and why is life working out the way it's working out? It makes no sense to me. In fact, that's where our new friend Habakkuk, that's where he finds himself. The, the, the book of Habakkuk, it is a, it's a, what's called one of the minor prophets. Um, not that it's minor in its importance, just because it's, a, it's written from a lesser-known prophet and it's a smaller book. And, and the pro- prophet Habakkuk, in fact, we know very little about him. The only time Habakkuk is mentioned is in this book that we have of his. But from what we see in the book, from what we see in the context, here's what we know. Habakkuk likely lived in Jerusalem. He likely lived in Jerusalem in the 7th century B.C. And things aren't going well. And Habakkuk isn't happy about it. In fact, if you look at the beginning of of the book of Habakkuk, it it says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, the the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. And, And right out of the gate... Habakkuk is complaining to God. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, and you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and and there's, there's just nothing that makes sense. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. He's crying out to God and he's going, God, I live in a world where it seems like evil is winning. I live in a world where it seems like injustice rules the day. I live in a world where all of this stuff is going on around me and I don't understand, God, why you're not dealing with these people who aren't living according to your word. I don't understand, God, why you're not making things right. Explain this to me, God. How is it that you can tolerate all this stuff going on? If you're God and you're in control, why is the world such a mess? Have you ever heard that argument? Have you ever made that argument? And that's the argument that Habakkuk is making. He's going, I don't get it, God. I don't understand why all this junk is going on in the world if you are in control. How can you you claim to be God and yet do this? And God responds to Habakkuk and he says, watch, you're going to be utterly amazed at what I'm about to do. Because you see all this stuff happening. You see all this wrongdoing going on. Well, just to worry you know, and we talked about this last Sunday, the scales will balance. He is a just God. And he says, I have a plan for this. And in fact, he says, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are already marching and they are coming and they are going to they are going to bring judgment upon all of these people who are not living according to my word. And the back he goes, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. The Babylonians... God, why would you use evil people to bring justice for the evil that's happening? That that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. He says, look, these people aren't going to acknowledge you. They're not going to give you credit. They do everything their own way. They celebrate their own way. They worship themselves. God, this makes even less sense. 
Habakkuk first cries out and he says, God, I don't like the fact that you're not doing something about this. And then when God says, I am doing something about it, he goes, God, I don't like the way that you're doing something about this. Habakkuk is looking at what's going on in the world around him from his perspective. And from his perspective, he, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. He's frustrated by it. God, it either seems like you're not there or it seems like you don't care. That's Habakkuk's complaint. You're either not there or you don't care or you're not fair. Let me, let me help you with a very important principle. God is not fair. Let me say that again. God is not fair. Never has been, never will be. If God was fair, how can one person be born in poverty, another in wealth? How can one child be born in sickness and another in health? God is not fair, never has been fair. Now, before you freak out and leave the room, let me explain that to you. Any parent that's here that has more than one child will understand what I'm about to say. I am not fair as it relates to my two children. I don't give to each one of them equally. And here's the reason why. Because each one of them are unique individuals and their needs are very different. And when you talk about something being fair, you talk about something being equal. And when you do that, here's what happens. There's this comparison game, right? God, it seems to me that you're treating them better than you're treating me. And God says, Listen, it's not about you focusing on you, and it's not about this comparison game. Here's what God is, and I love this. God is much better than fair. God is faithful. And to him who is able to give exceedingly abundantly, right, and who's able to do more than you can ask or even imagine, he gives you everything that you need for life and godliness. And your needs are different than the needs of the person sitting next to you, that are different than my needs. And what God does is this, is God is faithful to each one of us in the way that He has uniquely made us and the unique destiny that He has for us. God's approach to His children is not a cookie-cutter approach where each person gets the same thing. He gives to you according to who you are. And I would much rather serve a God who is faithful to me than a God who is fair. Amen? He's faithful to you. But sometimes in the midst of that, especially when our focus isn't on God, and our focus instead is on me or on what's going on around me, it can seem like it doesn't make sense. And we can have a hard time recognizing God's hand and figuring out what, what it is that we're supposed to do. And, and in, this, in this journey that God has for us, in the life that He has for us, sometimes what we have to do is we have to stop and get a little bit of perspective. And that's where God has positioned Habakkuk. And that's what God gives us through the wisdom of the word that we find here in the book of Habakkuk. God gives us what I'm convinced are some very practical yet powerful principles on living out this, this journey and seeing his, his hand of guidance and seeing his, his hand of, of direction. 
So what I want to do is I, I want to, from, from Habakkuk chapter 2, I want to give you what I believe are, are five clear directives that God has given us, five steps to walking in His will, to hearing His voice, to being on the path that He has for us. And, and the first that you'll see is this. In Habakkuk 2.1, it says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And here's what we find Habakkuk doing. Habakkuk says this. He says, I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to climb up onto my, I'm going to climb up onto the tower. I'm going to get myself above. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from the midst of everything. I'm going to withdraw to where I can have some perspective. I'm going to withdraw to where I can have some perspective. Now, this is a principle that it's, it should be very easy for us to understand. Because here's what we find. This is a principle that was modeled by Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, it tells us this in the 16th verse of Luke chapter 5. It says, but Jesus often withdrew. Jesus often withdrew. A comment that I'll make from time to time, I, I, I make this comment regularly because I believe it's a powerful principle that, that oftentimes we in the body of Christ, we don't understand or we don't relate to. And, and the comment is this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And we, we get caught up in all of this, we get caught up in all of that. Do you know that as Americans, that Americans have a, a larger work week than any other work week in the planet. In fact, in 1960, only 20% of mothers worked. Today, 73% of mothers work. America is the only industrialized nation that does not have a mandated annual leave from work. In other words, where you have to have time off. 85.8% of males in America, 66.5% of females in America work more than 40 hours a week. The average work week in America is 49.7 hours. The 40-hour week, work week went away a long time ago. Americans work 137 more hours than Japanese workers, 260 more hours than British workers, and 499 more hours each year than French workers. Friends, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. One of the, one of the greatest challenges in knowing God's heart and walking in His will is dealing with all of the distractions. Prophet Isaiah knew that and was inspired by God to write this, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's something significant that happens when we, when we withdraw. I will, uh, from time to time, I'll say this to my administrative assistant. I'll say, I'm, I'm going to get away. I just need to go and sharpen my saw. I just need to get away and sharpen my saw. Yesterday, a group of us guys, we were, we were using the chainsaw to, to cut down some trees and to trim some trees here on campus. And, uh, man, at the beginning of the process, that, that chainsaw, it, just, it, would, it would just cut through that wood like butter. But the longer that we got into it, the more effort it took, the more effort it took, the more effort it took, the more effort it took. He didn't stop and take time to sharpen that, that saw blade or change that saw blade. What you're going to find is this. You're going to find that it's going to take more and more effort to get less and less accomplished. And that's where frustration and futility sits in. Scripture declares this, that God didn't make you for the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for you. Our God is all-powerful, and yet in the creation process, on the seventh day, He rested. 
Why? Was it because God was tired? He's like, need a break. No, what he was doing is he was modeling for us the life that he would have us to live. And the fact that Jesus, with the significance of his ministry, that he would often withdraw, that should be a great example to us that we need to regularly and consistently pause and give opportunity for all of these influences and all of these voices to calm to where we can hear God's voice, where we can gain a a new perspective, where we can get high enough to where we can see the obstacles. I love the fact that Habakkuk says this. He says, I'm going to climb my tower and stand. And here's what you'll notice. He doesn't just, he doesn't just withdraw. Then what he does is he gives pause. What he does is he, he waits. He, he waits. I will stand my watch and I will set myself on the rampart. I, I love the way Eugene Peterson interprets this verse in, in the message. He writes this. The message version puts it this way. I'll climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he will answer my complaint. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is stop and count to ten. Right? Take a deep breath. One. Two. Three. That, that issue of, that, that, issue of that, that pause. Sharp focus is at times good, but, but oftentimes we're, we're so dialed in, we're so focused in, we're so concentrated, everything is so intense that we miss the wonder, and the wisdom of what's happening on the peripheral. I don't know if the tech team's going to be able to do it. I asked them if they could put an image up on the screen. Let's see. Scott, were you able to, to make that image work? We'll find out because I didn't get a chance to talk to him. If it, if it pops up on the screen, we know they did. Okay. I want you to take a look at this. What do you see? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, I don't see anything. I think you've uh, completely lost it. Uh, it's some sort of background. This is, this is a picture with a hidden image. Inside this is an image of an incredible pierced heart. Can you see it? The challenge is to focus, but not focus too sharply. Okay, tech team, go ahead and take that away before we drive people completely insane. Sometimes life can get messy because we have lack of focus. There are other times that we can find ourselves very frustrated because we're so myopic in our view that we don't understand or appreciate all that's going on around us. That's where Habakkuk was. Habakkuk's issue wasn't lack of focus. In fact, Habakkuk, where he's at, he's laser focused. God, I don't understand why it is that all this stuff is going on around me and you're not de- doing something about it. And, and, and here's, here's probably a, a greater statement where Habakkuk's at. And, and so, many, so many people who profess to be Christ followers find themselves at, God, I'm living for you. Okay, I'm living the life that you've called me to live. I'm doing all of the things that you've told me to do, and yet the people around me who aren't following your principles, who aren't living according to your commands, their life seems to be going so much better than mine. How can that be, God? How can it be that I'm doing what you've told me to do, they're living as a jolly well pleased, and it seems like they're being blessed, and I'm not? David asked the question, why do evil prosper? Why does it seem like, God, that you're distant from me? Why does it seem that they're being actually blessed? I don't like it. God, you need to judge them. God, you need to deal with them. You need to smite them, God. Because they're not nearly as good as I am. 
Come on now. You've thought it. You've felt it. Seems like the world gets it so much better than I do, God. And that's where Habakkuk sat. Why, oh God? Okay. Listen to his complaint. Oh Lord, how long must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Even in Habakkuk's complaint, it's a selfish complaint. God, I'm pointing this out to you, and you're not doing anything about it. I'm telling you what's going on, and you're not seeming to respond. God, why do I have to put up with all of this? God's response to Habakkuk, I've got it. I'm going to take care of it this way. Oh, God, that's not the way I want you to take care of it. God, I wanted you to deal with it, but I wanted you to deal with it the way that I want you to deal with it, not the way that you plan to deal with it. I'm probably the only one in this room that's had this kind of conversation with God, but I've, I will confess to you. Confession is good for the soul. I've had this conversation with God. God, it seems like the people around me are doing better than me, and I'm trying to live according to your word, and I, I, don't, think you're, I don't think you're watching out for me. Well, I'm going to deal with that. God, that's not how I asked you to fix the problem. And God says this, Ed, I want, you to, I want you to step back for a second, and I want you to just breathe. Just breathe, son. Just, just breathe. And that, that issue of a perspective, it, it makes all the difference in the world. I want you to notice, I want you to notice what he says at the end of, of Habakkuk 2.1 where it says this. I will look to see what he will say to me. I believe that this is a significant statement in Scripture. I will look to see what he will say to me. Oftentimes, what we would like is we would like for God to speak to us in an audible voice, right? Thus saith the Lord, get up from this place. Go to Golden Corral, I say. I mean, we'd love to have that type, right? But here's what we find is that the overwhelming majority of the time, God speaks to His children through vision. Isn't that what the prophet Joel said in Joel 2.28? In the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Young men will have vision, old men will dream dreams. Peter quoted that in Acts chapter 2. God, oftentimes, what He will do is He will speak to His child through a vision, through a picture. And I love the fact that Habakkuk says this, I'm going to watch and see what He will say to me. Let God paint the picture for you. Let Him give you a vision of what He wants to accomplish in you, what He wants to accomplish through you. He's, he's faithful to that. God answers Habakkuk, and He says this in verse number 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false, though it will linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God says this. He says, listen, not in your time, but in my time, I'm going to give you the picture that you're supposed to have. As I give you this picture, understand it's not just a picture for you. Write it down. And I'm convinced that this, this issue of writing it down that it has multiple impacts. There's several statements in that one little nugget right there. Write it down. Number one is this. The Word of God has some permanence to it. You can count on it. Because God never changes, His Word doesn't change. And this issue of writing writing it down, make a record of it. 
Second, I find this, is it, is it is rare that God will speak to me and it applies only to me. Because God wants each one of us to be salt of the earth, light of the world, what he wants to speak to us is oftentimes what he wants to speak through us. And third, the value of writing it down is it serves as a reference point that I can come back to again and again and again because my human nature is to get stuck in the same spot on more than one occasion. And I can go back and I can revisit that and go, when I was in this position the last time, what was the, what was the principle that God brought to me? What, what was the truth that He used to help me get unstuck? Because God never changes, therefore His truths never change. So when He gives me that picture, when He speaks to me, it has value to it. When, when God gives you vision, when God gives you divine wisdom, insight, understanding, that's something that's powerful that you want to hold on to. I, I'm... I'm convinced of this, that many times when I'll ask God for an answer for something and it seems like He's not giving me an answer, it's because He already gave me the answer and I'm either not focusing on it or I don't like it and I want something different. But He's very good, very faithful about speaking, about giving direction. If you're here this morning and it seems like life's not working right, you've got more questions than you have answers, you, you find yourself consistently frustrated, God brought you here today to tell you that you need to take a few moments and withdraw and then wait on Him. Watch to see the picture that He wants to give you of, of what the next step is, what your response is to the situation that you find yourself in. And then acknowledge the value in that by making a record of it. And then in God's presence in your life, take time to honor that, to celebrate that, to worship that. He is consistently speaking. It's not a question of whether or not God still speaks. God never changes. And because we have, through the centuries, that these 66 individual books that were put together as one book, through the centuries that God spoke, and you'll find this, that God didn't just speak to the authors of this book, right? There are countless stories in here where God is speaking to other individuals in the book, so we know this, that from the beginning of creation that God has spoken to His children. All throughout the recorded history that we have in the Word of God, God has spoken to His children. There's nothing in this book that, God, that says that God will at some point stop speaking to His children. We have church history that tells us that God has continued to speak to His children. We have the promises of God that says that God will speak to you today, that He will guide you, that He will direct you, that He will sustain you, that He will deliver you. So if I find myself in a situation where I'm frustrated, where I'm confused, where I don't know what's going on, I love the fact that the Word of God says that if I lack wisdom, that I can ask and He will give it to me.
that he loves to give it to me. When I don't know what to do, I can ask God. He loves to help. And he does it without reproach. He does it without limit. That means I, there's, there's no limit of the number of times that I can go to God and go, God, I don't understand this. Explain it to me. And he won't explain it to me. So often, it's not a question of whether or not he's speaking. It's a question of whether or not I've, I've put myself in a place and a position to hear. Because he is consistently faithful. So let me speak to you individually for a moment, and then I want to speak to you corporately. Let me speak to you individually for a moment. God knows exactly where you're at at this point in life. He's not overwhelmed by it. And so, man, if you're in a great place right now, God celebrates with you, and He'd love to take you from glory to glory. You can trust the steps that He has ahead for you. If you're here today and you kind of feel like you're going in circles, God is with you. And you can trust in the truth that every step that He has for you, He has designed with your blessing and your destiny in mind. Even when, from your earthly perspective, it doesn't make sense. He's navigating you around the swamps and the wetlands and the lakes and the streams. Trust in Him. It's possible that you're here this morning. You know what God has spoken to you to do? How He's told you to act? What He said to you regarding relationship? What He, what he said to you regarding stewardship? And instead of following His guidance, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you've chosen to do it your way. And you found yourself off the road and stuck in a ditch. God didn't bring you here to beat you up. He didn't bring you here to criticize you, to judge you, or condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he brought you here today for you to hear it's time to reroute. It, it, it's time to, to recalculate. It's time to, to reposition. And it's time for you to begin trusting in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to begin trusting in the voice of God. It's, it's time for you to, to start following his plan. Even when on the surface it doesn't make sense. And when you do that, I promise you, every time he'll get you home. Let me speak to you as a church for a moment. I think it's real easy as, as a collective body of Christ, I think it's real easy for us to, to get off track. I, and I think it's real easy for us to become so caught up with what is seemingly a good mission and we become so mission-focused that we forget that God created us for relationship with Him. 
and we become so consumed by by the mission that we forget the reason behind the mission in the first place. A number of years ago, I was I was at a youth event and um, we were out late after, after speaking at this youth event and um, these individuals started talking to us. They could tell that we weren't from their part of the country because we didn't have the same dialect as they had. Uh, in fact, they asked us what we were doing on this side of the line. What are you doing on this side of the line? Uh, what line are you talking about? You know the line. Oh, that line. Um, we're just here visiting. Well, don't, don't stay long. No problem. And uh, Yankee, you need to go home. And he uh, says, what are you doing? Well, we're, we're here doing a, a youth retreat. He says, you know, square dancing is the answer for the youth of America. True story, that's what the guy said to me. Square dancing is the answer for the youth of America. I thought, I'm going to take that back to these 350 teenagers and, um, and forget, about, forget about my message, forget about my altar call. Square dancing is the answer. Appreciate his passion. You might be here and you love square dancing. Can I tell you? Square dancing is not the answer for this generation. I've seen it inside the church where we get so captivated by a ministry. I love the fact that we have we have re-empowered Royal Rangers ministry in our church. It's a great ministry for, 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 for young boys. Helps raise young boys to become young men. I've also I've been in churches where Royal Rangers runs the church. I want you to hear me. Royal Rangers is not the answer for the young boys of America. It's a tool. Jesus is the answer. And we can become so focused in that we miss the big picture. I think that happens in a lot of churches. I think that Satan is real good about causing the church to become misguided. It goes back to a statement I made earlier. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And here's, here's what I believe that God's doing in our church. I believe that He's saying this to us collectively as a body. It's, it's time for you to recalibrate your compass. It's time for, it's time for you to, to reroute. At what time on this stage, this whole back area was a massive choir loft? It was pretty cool. And there are people who grieve the fact that that choir loft isn't there. There are some that hope when I came to be the pastor that I would reestablish that choir loft. In fact, they stuck around for a little while to see if that would happen, and then after a while they said, he's not going to bring the choir loft back, so we're leaving. I want you to know that our goal as a church is not to have a big choir loft. Now, I say that with choir risers here on the stage. You know what I would love? I would love that next Sunday that we have enough people that want to participate in this worship choir that we have to double that. 
come a month from now, it would be great if it consumed half the stage. Six months from now, it would be great if there was a choir loft that caused us to have to change the backdrop and have a choir loft that stretches all across the stage. But that's not our focus. Our focus is not to have the best music in town. Our, our focus is not to have the best production in town. Our reason for being, the reason that Calvary Assembly of God exists is for this. To know Christ and to make Him known. To know Christ and to make Him known. And so what we want to do is this, is we want to make sure that we are in step with what God's doing today and moving forward. To that end, I want to let you know, I want to announce that we are going to have a congregational meeting next Sunday night. It's not just for the voting members. If this is your home, church home, you need to do everything in your power to be here next Sunday night, 6 o'clock. If you're thinking about making it your church home, you need to do everything in your power to be here next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. For the people that are watching via live stream, the people who will be watching um, uh, on, on Good Life 45, you need to come and join us next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. If you're just morbidly curious, Okay? If you're one of those people that have believed for years in the downfall of Calvary, Calvary's never going to never going to make it. They're, they're, it's gone. You need to come and you need to you need to hear the story. Well, two things. Number one, you need to find out how incredibly wrong you are. I tell you that with the love of the Lord. Number two, you need to hear the direction that God wants to take this church going forward. I mentioned few months ago that, um, that Calvary was receiving a multi-million dollar gift, and, and uh, that should happen here uh, in, the, in the next, oh, two to three weeks. Um, we're waiting on um, one little thing to be taken care of that's a government regulation. It's the equivalent of you going and buying your fishing license. It will happen. It's just getting a government person to sign a piece of paper. Um, and sometimes the government can be quick and sometimes not so much. Uh, and so we're just waiting on them to, uh, to sign off on one little thing that will cause um, funds to be released uh, for the church. And um, I mentioned that that, that gift would be um, in excess of $7 million. It's actually close to $9 million. Can I tell you that that adds a whole new level of challenge and a whole new level of stress if you're serving in leadership? Because that's a huge responsibility, right? But, but even outside of that, let me tell you, let me tell you how great a church you're a part of. So, this year, our attendance is more than 20% larger than what it was last year. Year-to-date giving to the church is about $160,000 more than what it was last year. That's, that's, that's because of your stewardship. That's because of your faithfulness. We have baptized more people this year than we have in the last 15 years. Calvary is a church with no debt, Every 
bill is paid. We have in excess of $50 million in assets. I want you to think about that for a second. I want that to sink in, $50 million in assets. So for those people who have predicted the demise of Calvary, oh, so wrong. But here's the question that I want to ask you and that I want you to pray about. And we're going to talk about Sunday evening, October 18th at 6 6 p.m. If I handed you $50 million and said, your job is to know Christ and to make Him known, and to cause that to be true of Orlando and Central Florida, and you had just this big pile of money, what would you do with it? What would look similar to what we're doing now? What would you do differently? Because to whom much is given, much is required. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that the greatest days of this church are ahead of us. And I believe that God wants to speak some significant things to us because He wants to do some significant things through us. We are in an amazing position, an amazing place. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about it. In fact, I've wanted to do it for some time, but had to wait for God's timing. He's still in the business of speaking, guiding, and directing. You can trust Him. Let's stand together.